the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Some Sanity. This is Morgan Zeggers, and I am delivering. I tried to hold myself accountable and officially move into doing multiple episodes a week. So here we are again, two weeks in a row with two episodes, and we're doing another second episode of the week as a Q&A again. Um, but first, I want to do a little story time because, oh my goodness, if you listened to, <laughs> I can't remember what episode it was, but if you listened to a recent episode of this, I talk about, um, there was a situation, I was caught without my everyday carry, my Glock 43X. And I'm five feet tall, you guys. I'm 112 pounds. I'm a teeny little lady. Eh, not the tiniest. I mean, my thighs are like really strong, if you know what I mean. But um, I'm still quite small and tiny. And I, because of that, always want to be safe and protect myself. And so I'm usually always carrying on my body. I do it appendix style. I've got an in-the-waistband holster my gun is right there except for when I'm either working out where I will put it in a fanny pack or if I'm all dressed up and I'm going to a more political event like giving a speech or something and I have to wear a dress and heels because sometimes that's the protocol, that's the uh, attire required for the event, that's when I will have my gun in my purse. Now, there's a bunch of different companies out there, I'm sure, that have purses that can technically fit a firearm. That being said, I recently discovered this company called Kimberly Handbags. They design the bags in Texas, and then they have the bags handmade in Italy. And those freaking things are beautiful. And so they, I have one right now, and I just want to walk you guys through it because I just found out from them that I get a code, okay? Am I an influencer? Absolutely the heck not. But when it comes to something like this, when I've got my little hashtag, normalize to radicalize, I want women out there, young and old and in the middle, who knows how old you are, I want all of us to understand that it's a normal thing for us to carry guns. I don't want you to look at it and get freaked out. I want you to know that I do it. I want it to be normalized, and it's for your own good, for your safety, for your family's safety, whether you have kids or not, whatever. I want you to know about this. And so that's why I was like, heck yeah, I actually would. Like I get, I get people that will reach out and ask if they can send me something free or send me something. And, uh, if I promote it for them, I'll get it for free or whatever. And I, I don't like doing that. I often will just say, you know, no, thank you because I don't want to become one of those people that'll just like post about anything just so I could start getting things or, or just come off as a cool influencer or something, whatever. But when it comes to a concealed carry handbag that first of all, isn't made in some crap place like communist China, the way so many of the products that we buy in America are, especially when it comes to fashion. I was like, you know what? 
this is something that I definitely want my, my people to know about. So I specifically want you to know about it though, because if you put your gun in this purse, it's not going to be all jumbling around. Okay. And the reason is that you order it with your specific holster. So for me, I ordered a Glock 43 X holster sewn into the purse. It has its own pocket right in the middle of the purse with the holster sewn in. And I'm holding it on the video version on YouTube. And I'm going to post about this on Instagram. So check it out on my page. But I don't know if you can see, there is a its own pocket, and then in the pocket is a straight-up plastic, hard, safe holster in there for the gun. And so, again, this is for the video version, but if you're listening, I guess you might be able to hear this. So right now I've got my empty Glock 43X. It is empty. I'm going to... Like I usually do it in the mornings, I get it ready. Say I'm not going to be able to put it in my waistband holder on my body. I will load it. The gun is loaded. I'm very careful with it. And then I carefully take my bag, place it in the holster, make sure it's locked in, and then I zip it on in and I am safe to carry this with me throughout the day to my event, to my speech, to whatever the heck I am doing where I'm wearing a dress and I can't put it on my body. So that is just as simple as it is. I love these things. If you guys go to KimberlyHandbags.com and put in Morgan free ship, you can get free shipping on it. And if you just go to the Instagram bio um, that I have, the the link there, I'll link it there and I'll put it in the description. I don't usually promote things or try and make you guys buy things, whatever, obviously, except for my Zegger's Freedom Flags because they're amazing. You can buy those anytime at Zegger'sFreedomFlags.shop and I sign those sometimes if people want like a nice message or something from me. But this is something where I'm like, you know what, this bag, it's leather, it's going to last for years, it's a little bit more expensive, but if you think about how many bags you buy every year that just get torn apart and throughout life they just like wear down, you're going to be able to use this bag for like decades. So that's why I'm happy with it, I love it, and I feel very safe. Um, That being said, speaking of safety and why I think you should always have one, if you guys remember the story of what happened to me when I was caught without my everyday carry. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness gracious. So basically sum up what happened in the last episode or maybe a couple episodes ago. I told the story about how I was walking to the pool on my apartment complex just to do some reading. And because I was in my bikini and a pool cover up and I was just going to go read across the street, literally walk from one side of the apartment complex across the main street to the other side where the pool and the, the layout area is. I put my gun in my backpack and I zipped it up and I two strapped it. <laughs> and so I look like a little kindergartner with a backpack on and I'm heading to the pool. And long story short, a drug dealer had gotten in a fight the night before and the men that he was in the fight with wanted round two. And he had come from his home area and was hiding out in the apartment complex that I live in. And he came up and approached me in a very fast way. And needless to say, I did not have my gun on me and I went to reach for it. It was one of those instinctual moments. I went to reach for it on my body because I would usually in that moment have it in my fanny pack. And oh no, it was in my backpack, which was strapped to my back. Uh, So not a good situation, but I ended up, you know, calming the situation down, talking about I actually got him as Uber. Um, What's even scarier though, and this, the situations are not connected. I've been monitoring it, but this, um, what is it? This weekend, two days ago, three days ago, my roommate Alex, <laughs> I saw her in the morning and she said, did you hear what happened last night? And I must live in a bad area, you guys, because again, 
there was this car chase outside of my street, the same area where I like crossed the main road into the pool area of the apartment complex. There was a car chase over drugs and two people were shot. One of them died right on the area that I go to work out every morning, like where I go on my run. So it was just very strange, but it's, it's just a, such a friendly reminder, <laughs> friendly. It's such an aggressive reminder, honestly, of, of how quickly things can turn bad and how important it is for especially young women that are obviously going to lose any physical fight or be put into more a, a dangerous of a situation. Uh, we need to be able to protect ourselves. So always carry again, always be able to carry on your body if you can, and then when you're working out, have an opportunity, an option to do that. But these Kimberly handbags are, are great, and I'm really glad that I have one. So again, KimberlyHandbags.com. You could get Morgan free ship for free shipping. Now, that being said, let's get into some questions, people. Someone said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how ironic is it that the Antifa DSA crowd calls the conservative platform fascist? I mean, it's... It's very ironic, so I would give it like a 100 out of 10. Um, but that being said, just because it's really frustrating that they do this, it doesn't mean it's shocking. This is a tale as old as time for the left to accuse their enemy of what they are doing. Okay, they, they accuse us of what they are actually doing. Not only that, but it's a classic historic tactic for leftists to behave in a, ver- to behave in a very totalitarian way. Okay. So this idea of cancel culture of saying that, that we're evil Nazis that, that don't deserve platforms and stuff like that. What they're doing is they're taking normal people like me, for example, and they, they call me a Nazi, a white supremacist, a bigot, a sexist. I'm a woman and I'm a sexist. And it's, it's not that they're just calling us these bad names. What they're doing is they're trying to delegitimize us. They are trying to ostracize us from the public, from the community and make us seem crazy. They're trying to make us seem like people that can't be trusted and that don't provide sound analysis of, of basic situations. And as that time passes, what they end up doing is, is really removing us from the public square because they have delegitimized us in such a serious way. And they use these attacks, they use these ad hominem baseless attacks as justification for why they can then remove us more legitimately from the, from the public square, like, I don't know, have big tech delete our, our accounts and stuff like that, but also remove us from positions of power. And and that uh, I suggest you guys looking at the last episodes that I did on Wichita State University where a freshman student senator promoted my work for Women's History Month. What happened next? The communist, self-identifying communist, decided to shout her down by saying, oh no, you can't. Morgan Zegers is a Nazi. So by supporting her and saying she's a woman that you admire for Women's History Month, you are promoting Nazism. What they then did is they said that Olivia's values, Olivia's support of me, her political thought was physical violence because it physically threatened the students in the student government and on campus and made them feel unsafe because now a Nazi was in the room. And so see how quickly it turned from these people with maybe 100 followers on Twitter calling me a Nazi randomly to now this formal accusation in the student government of violating the student code of conduct and bylaws and then 
making that the grounds for why a student senator should be removed from her position. They have gone from baseless, stupid attacks that we can laugh about on social media to straight up using those baseless attacks as justification for attacking us and removing us from the public square and our positions of power. It's totalitarian. It's not just cancel culture. Um, And that is really how fascists operate. What they'll do is shout down their opponents and commit violence and threaten anybody that disagrees with them. So we conservatives don't do that at all. (laughs) We literally just want to debate them, um, but they can't handle that. What's next? Do you ever feel lazy? All the time, all the time. I think I, in one of the other Q&A things, I talked about how I just need to calm down sometimes. Sometimes I wake up at 4.30, 5. I'm really trying to push myself to freaking wake up at 6 because I, I like sleep. I value sleep. But I will wake up, and as it's like nearing 7, 7.30, 8.30, and I am not achieving more than I would like to achieve, and by that I mean I'm sometimes I'm already up doing my meetings, doing my calls, getting my work done, and like say it's 8.30 and I haven't worked out yet because I've been working the whole time and I wanted to work out and then be showered and ready to start filming at 9, I am like, I am a horrible person and I am accomplishing nothing. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to just get in the habit of being, when I feel that way, I pause and I say, no, what did you just accomplish over the last three hours of being awake between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m.? Oh yeah, a lot of stuff. And then I try and walk myself through, okay, since I did these things from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., now that frees up my schedule in the later half of the day to be able, you know, I'll fit my workout in then because I, I hate letting things slip out of the cracks just because I, I, got off schedule. So I always feel lazy, but I think I'm just going crazy and that's why I feel lazy. How to attract conservative friends and partners when your job doesn't allow you to have a public opinion? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, mm, so here's the thing. I think a lot of political values can come from the lifestyle that you have. And if you look to Federalist Paper Number 10, it talks about this. So Federalist Paper Number 10 was Alexander Hamilton, John J. James Madison in the Federalist Papers when they were trying to say why we need to be a union in the United States of America, why we have to have our constitution versus be a bunch of little confederacies and states. They said the problem is that when you have these different states and no way to get them to all coordinate, you're going to have problems because people that live in different areas, that do different uh, careers, that have different industries leading their communities, they're going to end up having different views on what government and life should be like. They're going to have different views on just what the way a life should be lived of lifestyle, of of hobbies, of passions. You're going to have different groups and factions arise from this, from a difference in lifestyle. And and I, I think that can carry over to what we experience a lot today of like, what is the going on right now in America? I think there's this huge difference between um, the left and the right. And in many ways, we're very united. But uh, at the same time, and I would say that we pr- probably agree on a lot more than the media wants us to think. But at the same time, sometimes I look at the people on the left, even just the Democrats and the liberals, and I say, how can you possibly come to this conclusion? <laughs> like, how can you, how can you possibly? And I think it's because we view life differently. And this question goes on too of like, people ask me, would you date a liberal? And I was on the spillover with Alex and Isabel, Alex Clark and Isabel Brown talking about dating. And, and I was asked, would you date a liberal? And I said, no, not because I discriminate against their political views, but because 
in my husband because I intentionally date, I don't want to end up marrying someone that has different views than me on how to parent, on what the role of the school board is in educating my child, on what the role of government is in what they can and cannot do in my life and in my child's life. If you think about it, dating someone across the aisle will entail dating someone that has a lot of serious different approaches to how life should be lived and the role of government in your life. So I I find that fascinating and I wouldn't say it's discriminating against them to not date a liberal, but it's just more so dating intentionally in the way that I want someone that sees life and views life the way I see it. And we could disagree on some of the subjects, but man, that kind of really matters. Okay. So in, in parenting and raising a child and building a home and what kind of values and vision you have for your life. But uh, I would say because of all of that, because this does come down to lifestyle, I'm a big believer in, in you live the life that you want to live, the life that you love, and it will lead you to the love that is right for you because it you can't force something. You can't try and fit two crazy random lifestyles together and expect that to work. And so living out your values and being a part of a community, being a part of groups and hobbies and activities that are with humans that think like you, I think that's going to be the best way to meet friends and meet uh, potential romantic partners and, and a husband or a wife because you're already so aligned with with how you want to live your life and how you view things. So that's just my, my greatest suggestion. And if you think about it, I've joked before of like when I go into a Home Depot – because I own a home in Texas and I have done so many renovation projects on that thing. <laughs> uh, I've gone – to Home Depot so many times. And when I walk into Home Depot, I'm like this little cute single thing, right? And I'm, I'm going for my little Saturday project materials, stuff like that. And I used to joke that, um, I was a hot commodity at those Home Depots because it's just a bunch of like me and then a bunch of construction people and contractors and stuff. And I was like, if I ever really was hurt and bad and I needed a date, I bet you I could just walk around Home Depot for a couple hours and maybe somebody would ask me out. <laughs> but it's because it's it's a guy that'll work with his hands. It's a guy who knows how to do stuff. And that's kind of my type, right? That'll align with the basics. But I've come to the conclusion that, wait, Most of the people at Home Depot that are there on Saturdays for these projects are probably um, already in a loving home with a loving wife and are now working on their house together. And it's just me that does that alone. So so maybe Home Depot is in a good place. But that's why people say, like, go to church and meet someone. I don't necessarily know if that's the only way, but I think there's a bunch of other opportunities and hobbies that you could do. I would love to meet, like, naturally, like, maybe somebody like couples dancing or something. But then again they're probably there with someone that they're already dancing with. <laughs> I'm not answering this question right, but do you get the picture? <laughs> so Nick asked, how can we get more conservative women in the social media eye? Well, well, you know, this is kind of a sticky one. I hate social media. Okay? I hate social media. I, I hate the influencer culture. I hate that political influencing specifically is an industry now and that makes me want to vomit. I can't tell you how badly I want to sever any connection that people maybe mentally have between me and the the political conservative movement. I want to get the heck away from that thing so hard. I still want to do this work and have the impact that I have, but the concept that I am like a political influencer makes me want to vomit and I want to get away from it. Okay. And that 
plays into two things. First of all, I think the the industry that is politics, the money-making machine that politics can be for people, the fame and the, and by that I mean like the fake fame because guess what? You're not famous if you have a lot of followers in politics. Get over yourself. But I am disgusted by that, but I also am just somebody that wants to be left alone, okay? So I I just don't really value sharing a lot of of personal stuff and private stuff. I've come to the conclusion though that I can do this in a way where like social media is not my not my life, okay? <laughs> I post and what I've learned is like if you comment on the post for the next hour after you post, that's what's really needed to to win the algorithm or whatever. But I will post, I'll engage for the hour and make sure that I'm monitoring the comments and stuff and then I don't look at it again, okay? More people need that mentality if you ask me. But I understand that I've got to do that I've got to allocate some time. I've got to make sure that I fit it in because it's marketing. It's reaching people. It's building a community. It serves a purpose in many ways, both for my nonprofit, my business, uh, the, the management of, of changing the way people think and the mindset they, that they have on the idea that freedom is a lifestyle and that we need to all become more educated and we need to fight back. It's so valuable in many ways, but it's also trash. So I don't blame anybody that doesn't want to be on social media. If I didn't do this work, if I didn't need it, if I didn't use it to promote my business and my nonprofit and everything that we do, I would not be on it, baby. Okay, so I don't blame anybody that doesn't want to be on it. That being said, I really, really am so driven into this this idea that every person that sees my page, I hope that they get inspired to live out their values rooted in freedom, specifically focusing on these younger people out there that are lost, okay? There are so many young people that need inspiration, that need a mentor, that are lacking with structure and intention in how they live, and they're just being shoved through this funnel of life that pop culture and our modern culture and all this disgusting stuff that they're told that this is modern America. Guess what? There's a better way to do it. And so I do hope that when people see my socials, they they are inspired the way that I'm inspired when I look at something like Ballerina Farm. But that being said, I don't think it's it's a problem that conservative women don't want to be on social media or Instagram or anything. I think the bigger problem is that in real life, people are scared to talk out about their values. And that's because we live in this totalitarian time where conservatives are ostracized and we are vilified if we share these beliefs. And so we're becoming silent. We, for decades, have been more and more silent when it comes to protecting our kids from certain curriculum and making sure that they're getting the right education. When it comes to speaking up in the classroom, on college campuses, when it comes to speaking up in the workplace, or even just organizing on a community level. And it's because the left has been so successful at shouting us down and scaring us into submission. And by that, I mean submission of thought. We cannot commit wrong things. And so I'm not really worried about, you know, encouraging young women to make social media accounts to show that there's conservative women out there. That's not really my problem. I think it starts in the home. It starts with the individual. It starts in the community. And us talking and having more in-person conversation and engagement is really where it's at. So that's what I hope to spark and encourage. And I know that like the social media thing, I hope someone looks at my page for maybe five seconds max per, per day to like it and give a comment and get a quick glimpse of like, wow, this is what Morgan said today. I'm going to read it really quick. And then I'm going to close the damn app, get the heck out of social media, stop staring at my phone and then go off into the real world. Just to kind of wrap this up, because I could rant about social media for so long, but I don't think you guys realize how many people just have the work that they put onto social media erased. It's, it's fascinating to me. 
so many people, their entire life, their entire business is on social media. It's how they make their money. It's how they, they get satisfaction. A lot of too many people get like the dopamine and, and the positive love chemicals and happy chemicals from just seeing these fake likes on social media. But I ask everyone out there, like, think about it and say, okay, if I've removed social media from my life, all the work that I've put into it, maybe you're a writer or whatever, all the work that I've put in, all the time, all the effort, all the followers, whatever, if that just was gone one day, whether because you know the internet gets shut down or because big tech says that they don't want to support your platform anymore because you're a wrong thinker, what is left in your life? What have you tangibly created? What can you hold in your hand and say, I, I made this? And, and I think what exists in the real world, that's what matters most. I, I saw a really good quote and I can't remember where it was from, but it was talking about how so many young people these days, they work for hours to achieve certain levels on a video game. They, they will build these communities again on a video game. They will build these Pinterest boards of all these poems that they love, or they will, they will start writing and typing and sharing all of these intellectual thoughts that they have. Maybe, maybe that's their creative outlet is to write and then post it on social media what are you going to do when that is deleted one day? And and the the summary of the quote was like, what you build in real life is what really matters and provides true purpose, building something in real life. And so I hope that we can work to build that again, that mentality, that mindset around it. Because, oh my gosh, I think a lot of us would be really lost if one day social media and the internet was deleted and we'd, we'd, look, at a, we'd look around us and say, wait, have I, have I created anything tangible? <laughs> Ooh, okay. Someone asked advice on setting up a nonprofit, who to reach out to resources needed. Well, there's ways to do it. If you got a budget, you can hire a lawyer to handle this stuff. Um, but it's totally possible. I've done it before of just literally filling out the request sheet for, um, a tax identification number. So an EIN, um, you need to file for 501c3 status if you want to get tax exempt nonprofit. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, it's just a, a very basic thing. It differs by state as well. So you've got to get your, your state registration and then you register with the federal government to become tax exempt. But um, yeah, message me if you need any more details on that. I've done it multiple times. When is your next speaking event in Arizona? So I don't think I'm speaking. I don't think they're having the contributors speak at this, but Turning Points America Fest is uh, December 18th through 21st. And it they just released the first lineup of who's going to be there. It's like a straight up country music concert. So Ray Lynn's going to be there. Brantley Gilbert, Lee Greenwald, uh, who sings God bless the USA. Um, a bunch of really cool guys. And it's going to be announced. Uh, I think more people as well, but that's going to be some really cool people. Um, in the conservative movement and then these cool country singers and it'll be in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'll be there in late December. Does an employer have a right to know about your job of the hut status? I'm using that because I think it's safe enough to not get, um, attention drawn to me by by these technological people and alex clark from politics says jab of the hut and i think that's hilarious i think it's like so out there that it won't like flag anything but um no your employer does not have a right to know your job status someone asked would you be open to homestead episode ideas if that's what the freedom guide is all about heck yeah so if you guys haven't followed at the freedom guide on instagram there's going to be a ton of basically the house of how to live out your values rooted in freedom the house 
regarding education, lifestyle, and action, baby. And it's going to be really good. The podcast is going to be starting in November, and it is straight up the hows, what you need to know, and then how to actually implement with action items, okay? No complaining. If we complain, it'll always be followed up with a solution, but it's solution-oriented, action-oriented. Do you think you'll dive into the anti-federalist papers to compare and contrast them to the federalist papers? Yes. So we're going to start doing that now with Freedom Papers under Turning Point USA. It's such a fun podcast. Every episode, um, it's either with me or it's with me and a member of the House Freedom Caucus um, or a a freedom-loving conservative politician. And I'm really excited about it. The first few episodes, I think we've done like five or so right now, it's weekly, have been about the history of it, kind of doing some of the more basic Federalist Papers. But the Anti-Federalist Papers, they were released, the same ones each week, and they would basically argue and bicker and debate each other. The papers would back in 1787 and, and a little bit after. And so you're supposed to look at both papers and say, here's what they said and here's what they said. And now that we're getting out of the original history of why the papers were written and all this stuff, we're going to start looking at both sides of the papers. So I'm really excited about it and definitely stay tuned. There's literally 85 Federalist Papers. So um, it's it's going to be a long, a long, a long show. <laughs> Someone asked, where does a conservative man go in seek of a conservative woman for dating? I live in a blue state. One, I mean, I would say just because you're in a blue state doesn't mean that you're going to absolutely only have blue women to choose from. Uh, But like I said earlier, same thing for with what the woman asked. If you're looking for a woman or if you're looking for a man that aligns with your values, live out your values that are rooted in freedom and it will probably guide you to the right group of people and the right people in general that you will probably meet a better partner to align with your values in that way. Um, so for me, I can literally just tell you right now, what have I done that I probably could have met people along the way? I'm really been in, big into veterans advocacy in high school um, and college. I was a part of the VFW Ladies Auxiliary. So that meant I was going to the Memorial Day parades, the Veterans Day parades and, and galas and dinners and stuff. I was going to the armed forces parades i was in the um flag day parade and all of the events in between all the fundraisers in between and once you're in that community you're surrounded by people of all ages that in that community share your values of supporting veterans for example Uh, i i also am a i've been a part of the gop i've been a part of conservative groups i go to their banquets and their dinners and stuff that's one way to meet people but not only that it's just more so about surrounding yourself with that community and and you aren't you shouldn't go to a veterans advocacy event or a gop event or a church event or whatever being like i'm going to sit here until i meet my wife the way i used to joke about like i'm going to walk around home depot until someone asks me on a date <laughs> or i'm going to want to know what i always say to i'm like if i really I'm struggling and I'm like reaching my, the last years of my fertility. I'm just going to walk around Bass Pro or Cabela's until I meet, <laughs> meet, until I meet someone. I'll like walk around the camo aisle or something. But, um, it's, that's not really the smart thing to do. But if you start immersing yourself in communities of people that share your values, you're going to run into people that will, um, pique your interest and you'll pique their interest. So that's, that's my vision there for you. It should be natural. Okay. Stay away from the dating apps. Have I ever told you guys about my dating app experience? I wonder if I have, I don't know. I should, I wish, this is the thing. I wish I screenshotted this so badly, but basically over the summer, months after this breakup that I had, I was just still like, 
meh. I, I don't, even now, I'm just like meh. But um, I was joking with my friends. I was at this conference. We were all out to dinner and, and they were like, Morgan, you haven't like had a dating app experience? And I was like, no, really? Like, I mean, in high school, I like, had it as a joke. But as like a, a dating adult, gosh, no, I don't believe in that. And they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you just don't understand like how that stuff works. And so I was like, "Mm -hmm." so we were joking around and I made, um, a Tinder, right? I think I made a Tinder. I made a Tinder. There's also, I should preface this. There's a lot of fake Tinder accounts out there of me apparently. And I feel so bad because a lot of people will send me these and be like, did we just match? No, we did not. Okay. If you ever see me on Tinder, it's not me. (laughs) Uh, but this one time, I was in South Dakota at a conference and I'm at dinner with my friends. They're like, just make one and joke around and we'll like swipe and and we'll show you how it works and we'll just like look at the things. So first of all, it's so bad that people date these days just by like first impression looking at a picture of someone and seeing if they're physically attracted, but whatever. Um, This isn't about my hatred of dating apps. This is just a funny story. So they're trying to like, I put like one picture of me and then we're swiping on the guys and I'm just looking at them all and I'm like, nope. No, 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 no. And so then it's like, well, maybe I need to lower my standards or something or not be so aggressive. So then we get to this one. And again, this is just a joke. But we get to this one guy. And I kid you not, the first guy that I'm like, he looks acceptable. He has these like two long guns on each of his sides. And he's on top of a horse. And he's covered in camouflage. And he looks like he's like in the Middle East or something. I don't know. But he's like, you know, military. And so I was like... I could, I could see this, you know, I, we could give him a swipe to the right or whatever. (laughs) And so that's it. Right. And I swiped that way. Didn't think about it after like at the dinner, deleted the app. Cause I was like, okay, that was entertaining, but whatever. So then the next morning I wake up and I completely forgot what, what I had done just the night before just kidding around. And I'm like, why is my phone going off? I wake up to all these comments that are being commented on my Instagram page and it was the horse guy. And I was like, Ooh, Oh, Oh, and I'm looking and they're not nice comments. You guys, it turns out, um, he was not like a U.S. military member. He was this anarcho communist native American militant that wanted the downfall of America. And (laughs) that's why he was in his military outfit. And he found me, the founder of Young Americans Against Socialism, and my bio at the time said something like, fight the commies. <laughs> and he was commenting on all of my pictures about how this stupid woman says that she's going to fight communism, but her American imperialists have invaded our native land, and it's her problem. She's the one that's causing all of this, but she thinks she's righteous when she swipes right to me on Tinder, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, <gasps> oh, no. So... That was a, that was a mistake. Um, that was my experience of adulting on Tinder one time. The one person I swipe right to was not a U.S. military member. It was a, a militant anarcho-communist Native American man that hates America. <laughs> so, so that's that's my story, and that's why I can never give dating advice. Um, someone asked, "What do you think was the inspiration that led to the Federalist Papers?" So. You need to watch Freedom Papers, my friend. Freedom Papers, episode one, explains the founding of the Federalist Papers and why they came to be. So in 1776, we declare independence, right? But 
1787, in that 10-year span, we weren't doing the best, okay? There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of infighting. There wasn't coordination because there wasn't a federal government. There was no coordination between the states. And when you have a bunch of little mini tiny states trying to coordinate as one country, the Articles of Confederate Confederation, it's not working. So they meet at the convention and they say, we should form a new approach to our government, which would create the union, which would be run by the federal government of the United States of America. And then under that would be all of the states and the federal government would encourage cooperation between these different states that have different passions, different views on government and different um, ambitions and goals and interests. And so some people wanted to do this and have a union created. The anti-federalists, though, did not. They thought that creating a large federal government would be oppressive to the people in the end and that it would lead to uh, tyranny. And so the federalist papers were written by Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison because they needed to try and convince the people in the states to vote to ratify the U.S. Constitution because to change the government, you had to ratify the Constitution. And the anti-federalists did not want that to happen. And so it was a debate on encouraging the people to or to not ratify, to vote to ratify. Um, one of the states was New York State that didn't want to ratify. And so the fat, the federalists wrote the papers and started releasing them in New York City newspapers. And every week, every few days when they were released, it was on a different topic of a certain aspect of the shape of the government, the formation of it, of why we need to have a union, all these different things. And then the anti-federalist papers, usually the same topic would be discussed and debated week by week. And so it was really fascinating, like a debate back and forth that all of the people of America could read and learn from and make their own decision. And so that's what's so profound about it is they weren't forcing anybody to make a decision. They were just encouraging them. And they said, we think you, the people, have the ability to make the right decision on this. Here's the facts on our side. Here's the facts on on our side and here are our opinions and that's what it became so those 85 federalist papers that were written on behalf of yes we should ratify were put together years later in a book called the federalist and that's how we got here and so freedom papers the weekly episode podcast with turning point goes through every single one of those papers and we have really cool guests coming up um, we've had andy biggs the house freedom caucus chair on already and we had paul gosar the congressman from arizona on um, and we're just going to keep having more fun with it. And last question, someone asked, what's your favorite holiday and why is it Christmas? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is Christmas. I just love the holiday season. I love tradition and heritage. And um, I I just think the holly jolly season is, is very fun. I mean, when you look at the, the reason of it, the birth of Jesus Christ, it's quite wonderful. My birthday is the day after Christmas. And so, you know, maybe I'm like, a little special connection to Jesus. We're like birthday partners in a way. It's very fascinating. Or at least that's what my grandma always used to tell me. <laughs> she like gave me a Bible when I was young and it was like, you have a special connection to Jesus. I was like, yes, ma'am. Um, but it, the, the Christmas season, even just the fall into New Year's season has always been so positive for me in a sense of, of a feeling, a, a feeling of positivity. I know a lot of people experience seasonal depression, I guess. Um, and I'm thankful that I don't experience that because for me, I just love the tradition and the history and the feelings that come with the holiday season. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of why I love it. And I would say as well, Christmas day is, you know, it's Christmas day. It's, it's, you celebrate Jesus's birthday. That's how I see it. You spend time with family. I'm not really, I'm a terrible present person. I'm not good at receiving presents. I don't like how there's this push for 
giving people things, materialist or material things, and then having so much worth put into that versus the other purposes of the holiday. Um, and so for me, like the build up to the Christmas day is what I, I love the most. And then Christmas day is fun more so for the purposes of, of the religion and, and the meaning that comes with that special day. But I love Christmas season. I will say that. Okay. And with that, I hope you guys have a nice week. I hope that wasn't too chaotic of a Q and a, this is what happens when I don't prep and I just read questions and then answer them. <laughs> J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.